Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. It is great to be back here at Grace. Uh, when Matt called and asked me to preach, uh, he told me that uh, he was doing this wedding and I got to be here. And then uh, yesterday afternoon, he, he texted me. He, uh, he said, good grief, I'm down near Houston. How do you live in this place? It's like you know, so humid. You know? and, and what's scary for me is I did the exact opposite when I got here yesterday evening. I, got, I drove in yesterday evening and I'm sitting outside at, at a restaurant with my family. And I'm going, it's like Arizona. It's like so... <laughs> It's so dry here. My goodness. So, no, it, it's a joy to be here. I, I love Grace. It's a place, place that's very close and dear to my heart, and it's always a privilege to come and speak here. Um, let's open up in prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive into God's Word today. Father, you, you've said in your Word that uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, we have come to hear the Word of God today. We've come to hear uh, the Scriptures taught, but we've also come, Father, more importantly, to hear you speak. Uh, Father, open our hearts and open our minds. Uh, I pray that we would be willing uh, to hear what you, a living Lord, would say to us today. And may we be willing to submit to it in whatever you call us to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach an Easter sermon this morning. I want to preach an Easter sermon for a couple of reasons. One, because when I preached in December, one of the things I mentioned was, was that Christians don't do Easter very well. We do Christmas great, right? We do Christmas, but the world does Christmas great. And I mentioned over Christmas how we say Jesus is the reason for the season and then proceed to celebrate Christmas just like the world does on its own schedule. And Easter, not Christmas, is the most important holiday to a Christian. Easter. And in fact, we are still in the Easter season. Most people in America don't realize that the Easter season continues on past uh, past Easter. Actually, Easter season starts with Easter and goes the seven weeks till Pentecost. And so we are in the midst of the Easter season, continuing to celebrate the resurrected Lord that we serve and claim to be alive today. But I want to preach an Easter sermon for a second reason. And the second reason is because there's a scene that happens the first week after Christ resurrected, right after Easter, that I believe speaks meaningfully to our, um, to our existence today. And that's the story of Doubting Thomas. How many of you ever heard the story of Doubting Thomas? How many of you realized that was an Easter story? We kind of have Doubting Thomas, oh, he was the guy that doubted, right? But one of the, one of the interesting things that, we, that I find fascinating about the way we celebrate Easter is um, because we so quickly in America move on, we never spend a lot of time focusing on what happens after Christ resurrects. And there are a lot of those stories uh, most of the resurrection stuff happens after Christ resurrects, but you know, we're done with Easter, and so we move on to the next thing. I want to look at the subject of, I want to look at the, the, the story of Doubting Thomas, and I want to do it because I believe um, the subject of doubting in the American church is something that goes under-addressed. Doubting. You know, how many of you right now are plagued with doubts? How many of you right now have a sense of um, unsettledness. How many of you have a question that you, you've, you've had maybe for a long time? Maybe you're new here. Maybe you're new to the faith or new to grace, and there's just something that's not been sitting right with you that you can't seem to get over. Or maybe you've been here for 20 years or 30 years. Maybe you're a, a Christian, and there's just some nagging um, suspicion or fear or frustration or worry. You see, uh, sometimes the church doesn't do a good job addressing doubt. 
And so I want to. I want to look at the story of Doubting Thomas. I want to feel, uh, I want to ask ourselves the question of how we can deal with doubt in our lives and figure out what it means and, and what its purpose is. So before we dive into the scripture, let me just give you a couple of um, just pieces of information that, that's good to know. First, it's okay to doubt. If no one's ever told you that, hear, hear it. It's okay to doubt. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes in Christianity, we, 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 we bully and we browbeat people for, uh, for uh, having questions. We like to say things like, oh, you just got to believe and, and oh, you just got to have faith, childlike faith. And most people sit um, alone with their questions, not realizing that the answers are possible. It's okay to doubt. Um, there's, it's a lot of good, there are a lot of good things that can happen when you doubt. Doubting is a sign of humility. It's a sign that you're saying, I could be wrong about this. I don't know. I have questions. Um, doubting can be a pathway for growth. The things you are doubting are the things that you have questions about. And more than likely, those are the things that, that are the areas where God's trying to grow you up. I don't know how many times I've sat with, with people over lunch and they've told me things like, like Steve, I, I, I think I'm losing my faith. Steve, I, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Steve, I have these really important questions. And they tell me the question, and I'm like, that's a, that's a great question to have. You're not losing your faith. You're growing up in your faith. That it, you're at the right place at the right time asking the right thing. It's okay to doubt. Second, <laughs> it's okay not to doubt. This is a, there's a ditch on the other side of the road. Sometimes... Uh, when, when people get very comfortable with their doubt, it can take kind of a skeptical, uh, a skeptical mentality where, where a person who is very comfortable with his doubt can start uh, bullying people to question things they never thought to question before. Hear me as well. If you are a person who doesn't particularly struggle with doubt, that's okay too. Different people, because of different temperaments and different personalities and the way we're wired, we have different a makeup. So we have different thresholds of belief and different things bother us in different ways. And so some people are more prone to doubt and some people not so much. And so if you're a doubter, no big deal. It's okay to doubt. And if you're not, that's okay too. Okay. We need to kind of give, I've noticed across America, churches can kind of have one of those two flavors, if you will, a real skeptical church where they're going to question everything. And if you don't have the deep questions, then you almost don't feel at home because, because you're like, I just, I just believe I don't, I, it's never been a big deal to me. Conversely, there are some churches that are so, oh, I just have always believed and you should just always believe too, that some people never get their questions answered. So realize that both of those are okay. It's okay to doubt if you have doubts and it's okay to not doubt if you don't have them. That's no big deal. Third, People doubt differently. People doubt differently. Uh, not everyone has the same questions about the same things for the same reasons. It's uh, different people are plagued by different life events. Things might trouble you at one time in life. They don't trouble you at a different time. Um, I, have, I have friends of mine, when we, when we talk about our fears and frustrations and struggles, the, uh, the doubts that, that plague us sometimes are different. Just to lay all the cards out on the table, when I doubt... When I doubt, I look at all of the pain and suffering and evil in the world, and I am worried, well, maybe, maybe God doesn't exist. That's the, when I doubt, I doubt. That's how I doubt. And you, you, I have to be able to acknowledge that. I look at 
if, if God did exist, then this all, this all wouldn't happen. And that's my starting point of faith, getting answers to those questions. A very good friend of mine is just the opposite. He has never really doubted whether or not God exists or not. It doesn't bother him. He knows God exists and it's, a, he hasn't, it's never been an issue. For him, the question is, what do I do with all these different religions? How do I know Christianity is the right religion? And see, for me, for me, it's like, if God exists, then I'm convinced Christianity is right. I've never doubted whether Christianity is the right religion. That's not the doubt I have. Sometimes when we doubt, we insist that other people share our doubts and, and, and answer the questions and, and, and care about the things that we care about. People doubt differently, and that's okay too. There is a part that we need to be careful of, though. Sometimes doubt can be dangerous. Sometimes doubt can be dangerous. What's interesting, though, is I don't think what makes doubt dangerous is the topic. There is not a single question you should feel uncomfortable asking. There is no boundaries. There's no subject that's off limits. Okay? It's not the subject that makes, makes, that makes doubting dangerous. It's the attitude of our heart. I think there's basically two kinds of doubt, two broad categories. These are nothing scientific about what I'm about to give you, but there are two broad categories. I think there's unhealthy doubt and there's healthy doubt. There's unhealthy doubt and there's healthy doubt. Um, And they have to do more with our mindset, not the things that we're doubting. First, healthy doubt is humble. Healthy doubt is humble, whereas unhealthy doubt is arrogant. If you are seriously doubting, then you seriously don't know. And someone who is truly asking the questions and wondering and hoping and, and searching is, a, is in a humble place and, 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 he's, and he's willing to be wrong. He wants the right answer. An unhealthy doubt is that arrogant position where, where you think you're smarter than everybody else for raising a question you think no one else has ever had before. Where you are, where you are difficult to be around and you're kind of uh, bossy and condescending to other people. In addition, healthy doubt is seeking. Healthy doubt is seeking. Unhealthy doubt is stubborn. If it's a doubt that is really at the core of who you are, that you really want an answer to, you will go looking for answers. You should want to find answers. Um, an unhealthy doubt is a kind of doubt that says, that, that's like, no, I will not have this answered. I am, I am smarter than you, and this doubt is unanswerable, and I am, don't you know who I think I am, and I am a brilliant person for finally un- uncovering this fatal flaw. Might be exaggerating, but you know the idea. It's, it's you hold on to your doubt. That leads me to the third thing. The healthy doubt is convincible. Healthy doubt is convincible, and unhealthy doubt is unconvincible. A healthy doubt wants answers, is searching for answers, hopes there's answers. Doesn't matter what the answers are, it wants the truth. An unhealthy doubt is unwilling to be convinced no matter what. You've had those conversations with people. You, they raise a question and you answer the question and immediately some other question pops up. Oh yeah, well, what about this? And you give them the answer. Oh, well, that wasn't real quick. Let me have, I have another one. An unhealthy doubt is a doubt that doesn't want to be convinced. It wants to stay in unbelief. And ultimately it's because, um, because healthy doubt is honest doubt. And unhealthy doubt is rebellious. It's rebellious. It's using doubt because it finds problems 
with what happens when I have my doubts answered and I'm confronted with the truth. It is, it is interesting, um, sometimes a humorous way of saying Mark Twain said, it's not those parts of the Bible that I understand, that I can't understand that bother me. It's all those parts that I do understand. Which is the truth, right? Sometimes we use our doubt in a rebellious way because we know that if this is true, this means hardship or pain or suffering or challenge. We want to have to give up something, some action or activity, some, uh, some group, some set of beliefs or some direction we've set our life on that we might have to change if, if we get our doubts answered. We are using our doubts to isolate and insulate ourselves and to assert our own autonomy to make sure that no one else has say over our life and that we still get to do what we want. We're using our doubt to be rebellious. We're using our doubt to be a critic. That is unhealthy doubt. So um, I want to look at probably the most uh, famous doubting passage in the, in the Bible, and I do so hoping, uh, hoping that it will help you as you handle your doubt. Hopefully, hopefully just what we've talked about already can help you address it. Maybe um, none of us do this healthy and unhealthy uh, doubt dichotomy perfectly. All our healthy doubt is mixed in with unhealthy. We're all, we're all both um, inquisitive but also sinful. And so therefore we have, um, you know, we have selfish reasons for, for not wanting certain things to be true. But hopefully by looking at how um, one man, one doubter got his doubting uh, dealt with, maybe we can have some answers too. Doubting Thomas, found in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. The passage starts out with an experience of a living Lord. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. This is an Easter Sunday experience. Okay, this happened on Easter Sunday. The disciples are there. They're, they're, they got the doors shut because they're afraid of the Jews, and Jesus shows up. They meet the living Lord, the thing that makes us Christians. Jesus is alive. What they thought was a defeat, the death was not the defeat. It's not just, he doesn't just show up and say, um, I didn't really die. He actually shows up and he says, I have been victorious, and here are your marching orders. We didn't just suffer a setback, we're moving forward. They have an experience of the living Lord. But there's a problem. There was a missing disciple. Verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my fingers in the place of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. But Thomas wasn't with them. He missed out. He missed out on the experience, and because he missed out on the experience, he had doubts. He did not believe. Think about it, though. It's not just doubting Thomas. This is doubting Thomas surrounded by the people he had spent the last several years with, people he had, he had, had journeyed with, he had suffered hardship with. They'd been with Jesus together. These people, 
that he probably trusted very deeply. And those people told him they had seen Jesus alive. And even then, he persisted in doubting. That shows you how, how difficult his doubt was. But that was the context of it. He really didn't believe Jesus was alive. And sometimes we beat Doubting Thomas. Like, why couldn't you just believe it? Why couldn't you just accept? But be honest for a second. It's, I mean, you watched your leader be brutally murdered. You saw his dead body. Surely you're mistaken. I know that that's impossible. This is a very reasonable doubt for him to have. Dead bodies don't come back to life. And so he's like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to believe unless I have proof. The passage ends with a miraculous encounter. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors um, having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it in my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Some really cool things have happened in, that, in those, those brief verses. First off, a little bit of explanation. It says eight days later. What it means is the next Sunday. Okay, uh, ancients counted inclusively. They did inclusive counting. Um, ancients worked for uh, rental car companies, not uh, cruise lines. Okay, so if you, if you this is the, people always have this problem, right? How could, Jesus was crucified on Friday, rose again on Sunday. That's barely 48 hours. How can you claim he rose three days later? Well, if you rent a car on Friday, turn it back on Sunday, they're charging you three days for it. Okay, rental car companies, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Romans counted inclusively the day you were on plus the other two. And same way, on the eight days later, on the eighth day. So this is the Sunday after Easter. In fact, every Sunday after Easter, we should just celebrate Doubting Thomas Sunday. Okay, we, should, we celebrate Palm Sunday the week before. Why don't we celebrate Doubting Thomas Sunday the week after and commemorate this great event? Okay, so it's eight days later and Thomas is there. One of the coolest things, one of the things you probably read over a hundred times. We're going to look at it in more detail a little bit later. And Thomas was with them. And Jesus came. Jesus came specifically, it seems. Jesus knows uh, his doubt and has showed up to answer them. And Jesus shows him, uh, look, come, put your hands. What, what, what's interesting is the passage doesn't say Thomas actually did that. It doesn't say Thomas actually went and felt and did what he said. He saw Jesus and it was enough. And by the way, proof that Thomas's doubt uh, was healthy, proof that Thomas's doubt helped grow him, Sometimes we focus on Thomas's um, refusal to believe, but we fail to admit that Thomas is the first person that really connects who, what Jesus' resurrection means about who Jesus really is. Everyone else is, is scattering around that first week going, okay, Jesus is alive. I guess that means he's still the Messiah. I guess what, what, I don't know what it means. Thomas sees the risen Lord. He falls at his feet and he says, my Lord and my God. Thomas, before anybody else puts two and two together, his doubt has grown his faith. His doubt has showed him who, who Jesus is. He's known, he's sitting there the whole time going, I'm not going to believe. I have a higher threshold of belief here because I need more proof. Because if he is alive, have you any idea what this means? It means he's not just Messiah. It means he's God. 
Thomas gets it. Thomas's doubt grows him. So um, in, our, in our time remaining, I want to ask the question of what we can learn about how to deal with doubt by asking him what, there are three groups of people in this passage. I want to ask what each of these groups did with Thomas's doubt. Okay, what did they do with Thomas? We're specifically focused on Thomas's, um, Thomas's doubt here. So first off, what did Thomas do with his doubt? What did Thomas do with his doubt? First off, he stated his problem. So many times our questions go unstated. They get, they get stuck down in our soul they, um, and they fester. They, we, somehow we think that when, when no one else ever asks us those questions or no one else gives us answers to the questions that plague us, um, they fester. And sometimes we worry that no one else cares and we think that there are no answers or other people will be giving them to us. Thomas stated his question. He had, his, he had a problem. I'm not going to believe. He, did, he didn't just quietly go along with it. He didn't just keep his mouth shut and just humdrum in the background, just pretend to believe because everyone else would kind of make, it, make, his, make his life difficult. He stated his problem. I don't think he's alive, and I'm not going to believe unless I see the nail prints in his hands. Second, he, he stayed convincible. He stayed convincible. How do I know he stayed convincible? Because he was there. Think about this. If he... Uh, if he had that unhealthy kind of doubt that disbelieved and didn't want answers, he would have said, I don't believe he's there, and he would have hightailed it back to wherever he came from. A week went by. A week went by, and he is still with the disciples. But Thomas was with him, with them. I find that so amazing. It shows me that, that, he, is, um, that, that he, is, he is somebody who wants to be convinced of the truth. He is hoping it's true. He realizes what's at stake, and he's looking for answers. Third, he sought those answers. He was with, as I said, he's with the disciples. Him being present means he wants to be convinced. Him being present means he hopes that there are actual answers. And fourth, he submitted. He submitted. Um, when when Jesus did show up, when Jesus showed him his hands, he actually didn't go all the way. He maybe acknowledged that some of his original doubt was unhealthy. He said, I'm going to stick my fingers in his hands, and that's when I'm going to believe that Jesus is Lord. He sees, and that's enough, and he doesn't just believe. That belief turns into faith, and he falls down on his knees. So many times our doubt is actually that arrogant kind of doubt that says, prove to me it's true and, and maybe, and, and prove to me God, prove to me something. And we don't actually want to believe it's true because we realize that to know it's true means falling down on your, on your face and calling him Lord and following him in obedience. Thomas, Thomas, when he had his questions answered, his true, healthy, honest questions answered, he worshiped. He fell down at the feet of Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. Second, what did the disciples do with Thomas's doubt? This is important, right? Because as a community of faith, we are going to have people, you are going to be in places, not just where you are doubting, but you're going to be with people who are doubting. How do we handle that? Well, how do the disciples handled, uh, handled uh, Thomas's doubt? I think maybe one of the coolest things uh, to, to realize is, um, is to look at maybe what they didn't do. 
how many churches have you been at? How many Christian organizations have you been at where, where this would have gone down like they would have bullied or browbeat Thomas? They would have quasi-harassed him, right? You got to believe. Sometimes we treat church like the point of it is to pass a theology exam. We have to have all the right answers. You have to study hard for the final and, uh, and you got to work really hard. And, and if people don't believe exactly the same way we do, we, we kind of push them away or beat them up for, or harass them a little bit until they kind of accept or just quiet down. But Thomas, but the disciples don't do that with Thomas. The disciples, they handled Thomas's doubt by one, they shared their story. They shared their story. They were not ashamed of the story. They weren't afraid to tell the story. They believed it was true and they shared it unashamedly. They said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He appeared to us. Let's tell let me. And they never tired of telling Thomas the story. They never backed down. Sometimes people even who have faith in the midst of doubt, they back down from sharing their story. They somehow think that I, uh, that person is, has doubts, so he must be smarter than me. He's doubting this thing that I, I firmly believe. It would be wrong of me uh, to, uh, to, uh, to hoist my beliefs on them. No. The disciples dealt with Thomas's doubt by sharing their story. But they also dealt with Thomas's doubt by staying with Thomas. They didn't push Thomas away. They knew, they knew that they had met the living Lord and they knew that if Thomas stayed with them that they would meet him too. So many times we put such pressure on ourselves in communities. Uh, we, 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 we think that somehow it's up to us uh, to, to get people from point A to point B to make sure they have all the right answers to all of their questions as soon as possible. And we forget, we forget that it's not up to us. What's up to us? What's up to us is to share our story and to stay with people and show them love and to remain in fellowship with them because there is somebody else involved. See, it's not just Thomas who's involved with his doubt, and it's not just his disciples who are involved with Thomas's doubt. But it's important to ask our question, what did Jesus do with Thomas's doubt? What did Jesus do with Thomas's doubt? You know what Jesus did? He showed up. He showed up. This is one of those things that, that, that I'm amazed that sometimes we forget. The Bible continually says you will seek God and find him when you seek him with all your heart. It says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Sometimes we treat, uh, we treat God like he's this philosophical concept that philosophers talk about. We talk about Jesus as if he's a historical figure. And we talk about the Bible as if it's this dry, dusty academic textbook that we're supposed to know things about. And we forget that the core doctrine of Christianity is that God is real that Jesus is alive and that by the power of his spirit, he desires to be in relationship with us. And sometimes we're afraid that that's not gonna happen. So we try to pressure people into having all the right answers, but we forget that Jesus really is alive and he really does want to show up in our life and he really does want to know us and cast out our fears to show his love for us. See, the disciples didn't take it upon themselves uh, to do the work of God. See, this is the joy of of believing in in a living Lord who is active in the world. If you believe it's all up to you to do everything, then you're going to put a tremendous amount of stress on yourself and, and, and your evangelism and discipleship will just be a series of high pressure techniques and university classroom exercises. But see, Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. 
Jesus is active, which means you and I can do all that he's ever asked us to do, which is share our story and love other people. And that's what the disciples did with Thomas. The disciples continued to share their story. The disciples continued to stay in fellowship with Thomas because they knew that if they were with him, if he was with them, that they would have a chance to meet Jesus. And sure enough, he did. Jesus showed up. And what happened was one of the greatest confessions, the first true Christian confession, Jesus, my Lord and my God. What doubt are you struggling with today? Where are you with this? Are there questions that have plagued you? Are there questions sitting below the surface of your mind that, that, are, that have gone unanswered for so long because you don't think that they're answerable or you're afraid to answer them? Because you've, you've, you've been told that church is not a safe place to, a, to ask those questions. Or maybe you've been, you've, you were worried too long that the, that, the, that the opposition has stronger answers than we. Don't be afraid of your doubt. Realize the doubt is, is a sign that, that God's trying to grow you up and expand your faith and draw you closer to him. Trying to grow you to maturity. And as a church family, when you see some others doubting, when you are doubting, when other people do, um, be like the disciples. Be like the disciples. Don't seek to exclude or to marginalize. Don't seek to, um, to browbeat or, or shame. Allow questions. Allow seeking. Allow discipleship. Share your story. Never be ashamed of declaring the truth of who God is and what he has done for us. But also never be afraid to be in fellowship with someone who doesn't exactly share the same belief as you who is struggling in areas where, uh, where you might not be, who is hoping and longing and seeking and searching. Take the pressure off of yourself, realizing it's not up to you to convince. Pray faithfully and look expectantly for a living Lord to show up. So many times we think it's up to us to close the deal. How transformative would it be if we lived in a place where we expected where we expected Christ to show up, where we expected his Holy Spirit to be in our midst. We expected a living, active, speaking God to speak uh, through his scriptures and through his saints and through his spirit. To be transformed, not by a book learning and not by philosophical answers, but, but, but to be transformed by an experience of the resurrected Lord. You see, the goal of, of Christianity is not to know more things about God. It's actually to know God. And we've gathered here today not to have a Christian concert and then a, a theological classroom exercise. We've gathered here today to focus our attention on trying to meet that living Lord. Have you met him? Have you met him? Have you laid your doubts out on, at his feet? Maybe, you've, maybe you're here and you're asking the question. Maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I'm not sure you're there. Like Thomas did. I don't believe he's alive. And let Jesus answer for himself. Maybe you've been sitting in those pews, in those chairs for, for so long, and, you, and you, um, you've turned it into a concert plus class where you, you listen to the Christian music, try to get some hope from it. And you, and you try to learn a couple of new theological truths and you fail to realize that we are standing in the presence of a living Lord and he's calling us to be in relationship with him. Do you see the spirit active in your life? 
do you know Jesus is alive? Have you come to meet him? My prayer is that, is that God would use the doubting in our midst to grow us up into disciples, that, he, that we would all in some way start out like Thomas, um, realizing what's at stake, worried that it's not true, diligently seeking, and being transformed, not necessarily just by the acquisition of more knowledge, but by an experience of a risen Lord. What do you need to say to God today about this? What do you need to say to your brothers and sisters today about the things you're struggling with? How can we um, show each other and show God that we are seeking him diligently? Let's pray. Father, in all the ways in which we um, are struggling, help us to lay them down at your feet. For all the ways in which our doubting has been unhealthy, <clears throat> I pray that you would, uh, by your power, free us from them. Help us to be truly humble in our doubting, that our, our doubt would be not a sign of fear, but the beginning of growth, that it would be the means whereby you call us to yourself and you grow us into deeper relationship with you. Father, prod our hearts. Show us those areas where we need to be questioning, where you desire us to mature. I pray that we would honestly and sincerely lay out our, our, our questions at your feet. And Father, in our, in our fellowship here at Grace, I pray that we would be people who um, always are unashamed to share our story and never willing to break fellowship with people um, who are struggling. Father, help us to expect Help us to expect that you will show up. Help us to realize that it's your job, not ours, uh, to, uh, to be involved in people's lives. That it's you who desire and be in relationship with us. That you have called us to seek you. And that you promise that when we seek you, that you will show up. I pray that you would do so. I pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.